right, hello. Happy Thanksgiving. We are here to give you your Thanksgiving appetizer. We are the deviled eggs of your week, I would yeah, say. And it's been a few weeks, so sorry about that. Or I should say angel eggs, I don't know. This is a Christian podcast. Uh, anyway, well, welcome. It has been a hot minute. We know that. We have heard from several of you. Hey, when's the next one coming out? And first off, I really appreciate yeah, that you're great. you're even like in tune with this um, and that you have enjoyed listening to us. Um, I went out of town to see my mother. And then after that, I was sick for a week. And then Tony had an event. And then he was sick. And then we just keep pushing, pushing, pushing. I was like, we are doing this on <laughs> Thanksgiving. Amen. And today... Uh, in light of Thanksgiving, we are going to talk about community, um, spiritual family. All right. It's kind of like a mix of that um, and what that should look like, um, especially for believers, especially um, in the church as, as a whole. And um, with that, do you have any initial thoughts about what we're going to talk about? I just think um, we've talked about this before, and I think it's it's a great season for it, as you mentioned, just with everybody having the different friendsgivings and whatnot is um i think about you know being in the military and living away from family off oftentimes you know your family becomes those friends that god gives you so um again like yeah. you mentioned you know it's a great time to kind of reflect on that not just the, the our our biological family but the family of god that he's given us and um excited about what you're going to talk about to open us up there with that the difference yeah, I just had a thought come to mind and some of my experience, I guess, as you speak about church community and spiritual family, I thought about, and you talked about your military life and how you have to make friends everywhere you go. And a good place to do that is the church. They should be a bit more trustworthy. We're all under the same umbrella, right? Headed towards the same goal, running the same race um, with Jesus. And... I thought about my life in opera all of a sudden mm -hmm. and how I bounced around from university to university. And then when I had a professional career, I was doing young artist programs in Pittsburgh and New York city and upstate New York and invited to do things in other parts of the country and even in Europe and bouncing around that much, you always have to make new friends everywhere you go. And that kind of community, not Jesus-led, not in the church, right? It wasn't spiritual family. And I can tell you there is a marked difference. Even though the church, I believe, has a long way to go, the church, again, is, is a marked difference in the way they do community versus the way the world does. You know, just like deep, you, the roots are deeper, faster, when you when you have Jesus at the helm, mm -hmm. right? Uh, it's just a, it's just a difference. Yeah, that's hard to place. Um, I can just feel it, right? With that, you know, we I wanted to open up with a Bible verse, which might sound harsh to open up with, but I'm just gonna do it. Uh, this is Matthew ten thirty five through thirty seven. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. 
And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And so uh, in the title of that little passage, you know, the ESV here gives a little kind of uh, one, one sentence summary. It says, not peace, but a sword. And that just spoke to me as scripture here is elevating one form of bond and one form of community over another one, right? The love of God and his kingdom here takes precedence over every other human relationship. Would you say that's, I'm on the right track there? Definitely. And um, I think of Ecclesiastes 4 9, often referred to, I think, in different marriage ceremonies, which is great, but it talks about how a cord of three strands is not equally, is mm. not easily broken. And I think that really gets to the heart of what you're saying, in that in those relationships where Christ is that third strand, it's really hard to tear those apart. Mm hmm. Right. Yes. It's not some secular, superficial surface type exchange or interaction, but a deeper relationship that's rooted in Him, and it's really Him that is the glue, right. that binding force that that unites. And really, when we look at you know also Old Testament scripture and the Tower of Babel and different instances where people tried to have unity outside of Christ, it always ended in trouble. Right. Right. And so really, even when we look at current culture and we hear all this talk about diversity, equity and inclusion, well, that sounds wonderful. But if we're not looking to the chief includer, right, if we're not looking to the savior, right, who who specializes in bond of spirit and unity of spirit, Jesus, then all these things are empty, um, vain efforts at bringing people together that are not really rooted in God. And so they do have a different depth of meaning, usually hold much more purpose to our lives when, when we're looking at the, the family of God and those that he's, he's, he's entrusted to us to, to do life with. Right. And do you think we get that right pretty well here? <laughs> no, we do not. <laughs> I mean, I think, so, you know, I'm in my 40s. And if maybe, wow, what? <laughs> maybe. <laughs> oh, you old. <laughs> yeah, I am old, older. But um, I th- I'd say maybe in the last five years, started to get an understanding of what the family of God should look like. So, you know, I spent a lot of years, like many people, just, you know, sort of living the secular American version of friendship. Yeah, that reminds me, I was talking to you earlier today about that and how all you have to do is watch enough social media mm-hmm. and scroll through reels or TikTok, which, you know, I've been guilty of and God's kind of speaking to me a little bit more about maybe too, huh? yeah. giving that um, giving that a rest because it's just idle time. But anyway, my point is I began to see a lot of posts and a lot of videos where people kind of wear it as a badge of honor or as a token of independence. Mm -hmm. And people are celebrating these people for having dismissed or canceled friendships or relationships that they've had over even the smallest offenses. And they see it as like, look how strong I am to have a boundary and stick up for myself. Really, it just makes them so empty and constantly bouncing around from friendship to friendship. And the model that we have 
in the scriptures and in church and how we should live out spiritual family is completely the opposite. There's always a restoration, mm-hmm. a redemption bend to how we're supposed to approach our relationships. And sacrifice. Sacrifice, right? yes. Like forgiveness. Yeah. John fifteen thirteen. <laughs> love and unselfishly seek the best for one another. No greater love there's no greater love than to lay down your life for your friend. So when you you know, flashing back to social media, it's best to unselfishly seek the best for one another. Well obvi- on it, what we usually display is our best sense of self. Mm-hmm. Right? Not mm-hmm. one another. That's right. You know, most people don't make posts bragging about their buddy. Yeah, there's not a lot of profiles that exist that celebrate other people only. Mm-hmm. It's all about me and like and it's the highlight finding my voice, me being my best, my, 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 you know? Oh yeah. Social media can be super, super selfish <laughs> at all times. When you, when you talk about the greatest love is to, it is to lay down your life for a friend that sparked me earlier to just think about that in a different light. Cause I, I've heard that before and I'm like, yeah, friendships. Yeah. Friends are great. Friends are the best. <laughs> right. And I have used that in my own life as a means to say, you should cater to me more, even though you're married, like other friends of mine, Mm -hmm. and think about me more than you do, because look at what the scripture says about friendships, right? But today, and that's just my, that's my own journey. That's stuff I'm processing through as a single person who doesn't have a family to come home to, who needs the spiritual family and the body of Christ to include me and integrate me at every opportunity. So I don't get isolated, which we'll talk about, but that the greatest love is to lay down your life for your friend really means you really understand love on a really high level, because not only this, this is assuming without saying that you would lay down your life for your mother, father, wife, children, Mm -hmm. But if you would even do it for a friend, you really understand what love is, how God has called us to love. Would you agree with that? I would, for sure. And, you know, oftentimes when we hear the scripture about the three strands, like I mentioned, it's used in a a lot of like wedding ceremonies and things. Um, You know, and like we talked about earlier, it doesn't say the the greatest love is to marry someone. (laughs) Right. The greatest love is to even marry them and and serve them. I mean, I would hope that you would marry your friend. (laughs) Right, but but again, it's not. It's elevating actually friendship as the you know godly friendship as sort of like the highest form of relationship, really. And um, I think that if there were a stronger or or higher relationship to be had, then Jesus would have married. Uh, yeah, or some of that would have been you know, a model that he would have given to us. For sure. Yeah. Or, you know, that would, yeah, exactly. That would have been the blueprint for every leader. But he was really modeling eternity at Mm -hmm. all times, Mm -hmm. right? And in eternity, there is no marriage. You're not going to be given in marriage. Mm -hmm. So I just, I feel like that's the bride of Christ. That's right. Right. So I just feel like that's why he's, he's waiting on his bride later. That's it. Mm -hmm. So I, in kind of going through this, I can't really talk about um, friendship like this without thinking of some of those that stand out in scripture. And of course, my favorite being Jesus and John. Oh, nice. And Most people say David and Jonathan. Yeah. But Jesus and John is really good. Yeah. And I think John is just my favorite because like he endured to the end, right? 
he stuck with him to the end. He called himself his favorite, mm. right? He called himself the beloved disciple. So I think that speaks to knowing your identity yeah. and having secured that identity in the communion and fellowship that he had with Jesus. Yeah, that's great. And that being close, he could endure the things that he saw, right? The right. flogging, the torture, the and to be charged at Jesus's death to care for Jesus's mother, mm, right? right? To the bitter end, he right. stuck it out when others, I mean, we love Peter, but he ran for the hills, right? Denied <laughs> right. three times and um, everybody in their own way struggled with what was happening to Jesus. And yet we have this young John enduring to the end. And I always think about, you know, the the record in scripture at the last supper, you know, when they're all the disciples are sitting around the table and, and um, Jesus makes reference to what is about to happen to him, that he's going to be crucified. And, you know, some of the disciples are like, surely not, you know, this can't happen to you, you know? Um, but they want to know details, you know, and they lean over to John and they ask John to basically, you know, get the details for them. And um, John, it says, leans into Jesus's bosom and asks him, you know, like what for the details. Right. And so I think that, and he gives them. Yeah. He, he gives them. So I, I love that story because it speaks to access through intimacy into me. See, because there had been friendship and relationship built like that, even the d- other disciples around the table knew that John had a different access to Jesus than they did. And they, there's no report of them being upset about it. They capitalized on it right. Right, to get the information. So that's good. I think that, you know, when I look, when we talk about, you know, spiritual friendship, who better to model than Jesus, right? Right. Twelve disciples, three really close, one extra special. Who in the end, he was like, you're no longer my servants, you're my friends. Yes. Yeah. yeah. He came yeah. back and switched it up yeah. and said, you know, I now call you friends. And when you're friends with someone, you show them behind the curtain. You give them those secrets, right, that a servant wouldn't have access to, right? That's right. There's a different level of conversation and intimacy that happens. And so... I, I really love that, how he, he showed us little bits of that um, throughout Scripture. Yeah, that's really great. That made me think of <laughs> how you and I are really great friends, and I'm not Jesus by any means. No? Or you're, and you're not, you're not Jesus, but I'm relating it to our friendship. Um, Say it and how, so. <laughs> and how at certain points in our friendship, I will have received a message asking me about you, right? Uh-huh. I haven't heard from Tony lately. You know, what's going on with Tony? Tell me some things <laughs> about Tony, like all that kind of stuff. It just reminds me of like, if people wanted information because they couldn't talk to you, they came to me, mm. right? Yeah. And it's kind of like... Right, he'll know what's going on. Yeah, it's that access, that inner access, yeah. I know that was a loose tie, but <laughs> <laughs> I tried anyway. <laughs> yeah, so you talked about Christ elevating us to something beyond even blood family. Yeah. The spiritual family is eternal, mm-hmm. right? And so not all blood family here on earth is going to 
give their hearts to Christ. Mm -hmm. They're not going to be sealed in his book, right? As much as we may pray, as much as we may long for that for them, the eternal aspect will be missing. And so Jesus has that in mind when he talks about that and, and how the elevation is, these are your mothers and brothers and sisters who are going to be with you for eternity. This is your spiritual family. This is what really matters. Mm. These are the people who really need more of your time and attention and love, especially the people who don't have physical family here on earth to share things with Mm -hmm. like myself. I mean, I have family around, you know, the United States that I can go and see, but I don't have my own nuclear family or even relatives really close by who um, I can see or have that relationship with. So I need the spiritual family of God. And in my mind, I elevate other people to that position. But a lot of times I think single people kind of get the crumbs, Mm -hmm. the last thought, when I think they need to be fully integrated all the way. For sure. Mm -hmm. And maybe going back to that idea of, you know, marriage being like the end all be all. Oh, if you're married with kids, you're good. Right. Right. And understanding that, you know, I would hope that you're calling. I mean, yeah, of course, them first, but I would hope that your calling as a believer would be beyond that and that our eyes would be wide open for who God would have us to be in in family with. Right. And when we talk about that, um, really what what elevates spiritual family is the communion through the blood of Christ. Mm hmm. And I love what Perry Stone says, every spiritual battle is about the blood of Jesus, because that's really what sets us apart and makes us different. When scripture says that God made us a little lower than the angels, right? And he He made us with uh, a lifeblood flowing through us. And we looked at, and we look at how in the Old Testament, there was no remission of sin without that animal, shedding blood right? yeah constant blood sacrifices constant blood sacrifices yeah. to, to cover for sins and how no one could could keep up could keep the law and so christ came to restore fellowship mm-hmm. and communion through the shedding of his perfect blood and so you know the enemy's really upset about this because he doesn't have blood he can't be redeemed okay there's no blood uh, flowing through him or any spirit mm. or or angelic being and so we are made a little different in that we can be redeemed not only can we be redeemed through the blood but we're created to worship god and that's what lucifer morning star was originally created to do so the reason the enemy hates you and i so much is not only because of the life of the blood in us and the ability to be reborn in christ but also to be created to basically take loose Satan's job <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and to worship and to love and to fellowship God. When you think about why he created us in the garden in the first place was to be in constant fellowship with him. When he saw that, okay, I, it's not good enough for Adam to just be the only human form in the garden with, you know, this human form with my, spiritual form i want to give him a helper who has a a human form like him 
even in God's creation, his mindset was always around the family of God, community, uh, being loved through the creation. And our sole purpose in being created was just to love him back. So imagine being a God who's lost a third of his sons of God, a third of the angels have fallen in rebellion with Satan. Mm -hmm. And he goes back to the garden to fashion for himself this being that would have his lifeblood flowing throughout him and would be created to do nothing but love him Mm -hmm. and be loved back. Yeah. That's beautiful. It really is. We have, we, we literally have Jesus' blood in our veins when, when we are accepted, right? When we come to him and, and receive his atonement Mm -hmm. for our sins. Right. And I, I think about that quite often lately, especially if I'm having a, a struggle of any sort, you know, throughout the day, like I have Jesus's blood flowing through my veins. Yes. His kingdom resides in me. Every step I take, the kingdom is going with me and I'm a representation and a representative of the kingdom. And I have that power within me. Like, Mm -hmm. and it's a helpful reminder to just access that it's already here. Right. And to realize that and any momentary struggle I may have, or, you know, bent towards wanting to do something that, that I've, repented of before not want to do again right um it's a really great reminder and a big Mm. and a big help and he gave that to us right yes i love that (laughs) i just (laughs) love that sit here and think about yes (laughs) this goes back to kind of what you mentioned this is the book from miss um, dr barbara peacock who came to our church and she's She's quoting here the same one you Oh, quoted. she was so cool. Yes, John fifteen fifty. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends. Nice. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. So Jesus not only came and sacrificed his blood for us, but he's giving us the knowledge of God directly from the throne. I mean, that's amazing. Yes. He did not hold anything back in their relationship, referring to his relationship with his disciples. His utmost desire for them was that they would unequivocally experience the fullness of almighty God's freeing and liberating friendship. Mm. I love that. Mm -mm -mm. Because Jesus came, bled and died for all humanity He has granted the beautiful gift of communing with him. He had communion with all 12 disciples before he was betrayed by Judas and denied by Peter, like we just talked about. That's that's when John Mm -hmm. got the secrets. That's right. The Christian community refers to this holy partaking of bread and wine as the Eucharist. And we've heard it a million times, but I just want to take a minute just to focus on these words. When the Apostle Paul described the practice of communion for us, he said, For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. So again, this is, this is an inheritance that we pass on to one another, right? The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant, the new promise in my blood. Mm. Again, pointing back to the blood. All of this is afforded to us 
through the blood. And he said, do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So it not only speaks to the benefits of the blood and the here and now in, in affording you community, it's speaking to not only am I giving you community here through the blood, I've got a promise for you when I come back to get you through the blood. Yes. So thank that you, Jesus. Is, to me, so <laughs> powerful. And there's a couple of things, you know, we talked about every spiritual battle is about the blood of Jesus. The, the enemy hates us, hates the family of God because of the life that comes through the blood of Jesus. And the, the four tactics that the enemy uses, Stephen made reference to temptation already, mm-hmm. right? And I right. want to talk briefly about uh, the four ways that he attacks us and the four responses that God gives us to offer one another through community. Yes. First one being temptation, like you mentioned. What did Jesus do? He responded to temptation with the word. That's right. He spoke out of his mouth uh, the truth that was that was the answer to whatever was contrary or counterfeit that the enemy offered. We can do this for one another. When I remind my brother of what's really true about him, when I speak the truth in those areas where he or she is struggling. Which only comes through intimate relationship. Yes. You wouldn't know otherwise. You wouldn't even know what I was struggling with. Correct. Right. If I hadn't Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, if I hadn't taken time to build a relationship and catch the fish before I try to clean it, right? Right. Yep. So he gives us the word for temptation. Oppression, which when we were talking about isolation, I think can be a lot of where depression and 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 uh can happen. He gives us the anointing that destroys every yoke. You know, when I think about so these are tangible exchanges where maybe someone prays with me. Like in church, when someone, I raised my hand this Sunday, people came and put their hand on me and prayed with me, made those connections, right. anointing with oil, uh, the anointing and gifting of your pastor or leader or friend who has an anointing right. to, uh, to um, you know, uplift you from that place of oppression with their gifting. Yes. Right? Praying in the spirit for you. Yes. And you pray in the spirit constantly for yourself. Mm-hmm. Two is a great is a great weapon against these things. Yes, and there's certain people that we're that are put in our path that we are specifically anointed to pray for, right? And and help um, journey with through whatever thing they may be facing. Mm-hmm. Fear, false evidence appearing real. God gives us love, and we hear a whole lot about love because that's that's you know again the ultimate a new commandment that we're given is to love one another as he's loved us, right? That's right. Perfect love is what casts out fear. We get fearful because we have uncertainty about our future. That brings fear. So when I reassure my friend, when I remind him or her of God's love and those promises there, uh, dispelling fear through perfect love. When you know God loves you, that is what cast out fear. And the fourth fourth thing is accusation. Satan is the accuser of the brethren, constantly wanting to accuse us and pin us down with something awful. That's where we can plead the blood of Christ. We can apply it over our lives, over our friends' lives. We can apply it to places and things and, and lay claim and, and 
Um, I think of every home we've ever moved into, you know, in the different right. places we've moved. But um, we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. So in sharing my story with my brothers, they're encouraged or someone I meet, you know, hears my story and identifies with that and now doesn't feel isolated in that certain thing. So all these things happen within the context of community that are really powerful. Right. Yeah. And speaking of, you know, isolation, I give more of my story and testimony here. So I don't regret getting my master's degree. Mm -hmm. You know, it was quite the accomplishment for me, especially for someone who felt really stupid growing up, um, like held under people's thumbs. I was told a lot of things in this Christian school I went to. It was very oppressive, very legalistic. Um, and I came out of that environment feeling like I was never going to matter much. I wasn't going to amount to much. Right. And I felt as I approached everything in life, I kind of felt dumb. Mm -hmm. Right. And to go and get my master's was really kind of mind boggling for me. I ended up doing very well. Yeah. Um, I was, you know, I don't care. My grades don't matter. A hill of beans at this point in my life. But you know, when I graduated from Belmont university in Nashville with my bachelor's, finally after a very long time and transferring schools um it was like a i graduated with like a 3.3 mm -hmm. which isn't terrible yeah. like you know but then when i went and got my master's i graduated with honors with like mm -hmm. a 3.85 which was like right on the honors mark yeah. and up and i had a, one of my semesters there was a 4.0 mm -hmm. right so all of all of this to say is I don't regret getting my master's and I think it was a really great step for me to gain more confidence in my intellect and my abilities. For sure. But I do see how the enemy used that situation in my life to isolate me because mm -hmm. I was in a Bible believing church in Nashville and then I decided to go get my master's in Princeton, New Jersey. And when I was there, there was, I was inundated. I'd never lived in the Northeast I was inundated with humanism, mm -hmm. secularism, oh, yeah. liberalism, you know, high arts, liberal arts, all of that, just inundated with so many things I hadn't experienced before. And through that, that was the first time I started hearing people talking about being gay and Christian mm -hmm. and trying to blend the two together and how... You know, people would tell me, well, the Holy Spirit told me it's it's good and right to be gay and be who I am. And, you know, I but in the same token, I'm like, I don't think he said it was good to be promiscuous, though, because <laughs> that's what was happening. Right. Tons of that in that area, especially when you go to a music school. <laughs> um, and so through that experience, I then went on to do professional opera and I was bouncing around from young artist programs and just being isolated. And didn't have that grounded spiritual community around me anymore. And it was a noticeable difference. And it wasn't until I landed in Binghamton, New York at the Tri-Cities Opera for their young artist program for a year that um, God placed this woman in my life who was also a young artist. Her name's Sarah. Hello, Sarah. Hi, Sarah. And she was a Bible-believing Christian from Nashville as well. Mm -hmm. We somehow graduated from Belmont. We had gone to the same church. 
And we, now we are in Binghamton, New York, performing together, and we had never met until that moment. It was very mm-hmm. interesting. So anyway, she would bring me over um, to the place that she was renting, and we would sit on the porch and have coffee. It was the <laughs> first time I had ever drank real coffee in my life, and Girl, I was... Yeah, that, they were the ones that her and her husband, Tim, have ruined me for regular coffee. I, if I see Folgers, I just don't even drink it. I can't do it. Like, I'll just have water this morning, thanks. But um, through the experience of meeting with her, the Holy Spirit was moving in her to be community for me in that environment mm-hmm. and to repoint me to Jesus, right? And I thank God for them still to this day, because they really understand spiritual community. Not only did I meet her there and she brought me back to like rightful understanding and my rightful place with Jesus. Mm. It was because of her influence. Oh, hello. But they also opened up their home to me. Yeah. And I left New York and moved in with her and her husband in Nashville and was provided a safe environment to explore some things in therapy Yes. Go to church, pay off some debt. They really did a fine job of being like mm-hmm. community-led and spiritual family type believers. Yeah. To the point where you know I ended up moving out, and then but I moved back in with them later. They moved to Utah, and I said I'm following you to Utah. Why not? And I moved in with them in Utah for a little while and helped them get settled and set up there. And I now I'm back here, but my heart has a piece there, right? Always will. Yeah. And um, they are the type that like. If I don't have anything for Christmas or Thanksgiving, get on a, get on a plane and get out here. Yeah. Right. And that's what I think it's all about. And I'm really grateful for Tim and Sarah yeah. to this day. It's been 10 years of great friendship. I want to point out something that you said. Sure. You said she brought me back. Yeah. She brought me back. Understanding that, you know, the personhood of Christ through your friend. Right. How powerful that is. Yeah. She brought me back. And how that has made a mark on your life forever. It really has. And I think we tend to bring people in the way we came. Hmm. And so that model of community that they gave for you is now the, it's so powerful to you that it is the standard that's right and i i want like there are so many things like i want a bigger house and i'm praying that god (laughs) blesses you can stuff people in it so i can (laughs) stuff people in it i'm not even because that's the way they still live their life like Uh god has blessed them over and over again in real estate as far as their first house Mm -hmm. did really well and moved into the next house that was bigger you know and they had great equity fast in that house. So they got to move into a bigger house, got mm-hmm. double the equity in 12 months. Yeah. And now they're even in a bigger house. But that's... <laughs> bigger parties. <laughs> yeah. So they could... And they are community driven, right? Yeah. Bringing people over for Thanksgiving, for birthdays, for, mm-hmm. you know, not even their birthdays. Like, you don't have a place to celebrate? We're going to have your birthday party here, right? Yeah. You know, or, or you need a place to stay? Your husband's abusing you. You can live in our basement. It's there because I've seen that they've brought single mothers into their basement. Mm -hmm. They had me living with them. They, you know, and that's what I want to live out. And I'm just, that's part of the prayer for my life. Like that I can move up a little bit more so Mm -hmm. I can have a place to host that kind of community. For sure. Yeah. 
yeah, we, we tend to model what was modeled for us, you know, right. and I can't help but think about Carolyn Murphy again, you know, the lady that I, that is the first that I really recall totally wrecking my life with the loving kindness of God and just this big, bright, loving personality that said such kind things to me that didn't really make sense. There was no reason you know, the motivation was genuinely just to love me mm. and interrupt um, the cycles of thought and thinking some of those things, oppression and fear and the things that I went through earlier. And it really did. I mean, just taking the time to speak a loving word of encouragement completely transformed my life. So it does. It speaks to the power of family of God. And how Jesus, the personality of Christ, expressing himself through the body is still so powerful. First John 1, 7 talks a little bit about it. He says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And here we go again. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. That's so, so good. I love how it, it makes reference to walking in the light with fellowship through fellowship and being and through fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus. Right. So it's referring to fellowship through the blood. Uh, this is what purifies us from all sin. So, and like the purification of sin, you know, is an ongoing mm-hmm. process because we don't stop sinning because we're not Jesus. Right. <laughs> right. We can do better. Obviously. Which is why we can't stop fellowshipping. Correct. And it just reminds me of the story I just told about Sarah, you know, just Mm -hmm. the fellowship that she provided, the friendship that she provided, because she was walking in the light, Mm -hmm. which drew me to it, right? Knew something was different. And then leading me to the purification of my sin by bringing me back into Jesus's community, really, like bringing me back into fellowship with Jesus, even if I was resistant at first, Mm -hmm. right? Because I was. Yeah. Because I'd, I'd had some church hurt at that point. Mm-hmm. So, but still, she lived it out. And eventually, you know, because of that example, I was brought back. Mm-hmm. And I think that's exactly what that points to. For sure. And, you know, I like how you made reference to this is a continuous process. I mean, we're going to bump our head along the way. We're going to stub our toe. We're going to get in trouble. We're going to make mistakes sometimes big mistakes yeah and i think it's important to just touch briefly on what how we should respond as a as a faith community as a as a as the family of god when things like this happen it's not a question of if it's when right right and so um first of all colossians 3:13 says we should bear with each other and forgive one another And if any of us has a grievous against someone, we should forgive them as the Lord forgave us. Which is that counterculture, that social media stuff I was talking about. (laughs) Yeah. So when I'm so mad at you, your point of view doesn't match my point of view, or you don't, you did me this way or that Mm -hmm. way or hurt my feelings or offended me in some way. As a Christian, I should automatically think about, but how much has Christ forgiven me? That's right. Seven times seven times seven right. times seven times seven. Times yeah. Seven, right? So I should be looking at the offense through the lens of my forgiveness. That's right. 
I love how in um, Galatians 6, 1 and 2, I want to read these real quick. It says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Mm-hmm. What law is he referring to? John 13, 35, 34, that talks about the new commandment that I give you, that you love one another as I loved you. See, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Here we go. This is what you referenced. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. That's really good. That's right. And so by by watching how you're different in your interactions with people, how you put other people before yourselves or how they put you before themselves, yeah. it interrupts the secular, um, selfish way of relationships. Mm-hmm. And it, it cues the individual into thinking or realizing that there's something different to be had here. There's something worth seeking. That's right. Um, that I think is really powerful. That's right. When you were talking about that, it reminded me of this passage in this book I'm reading. It's called Holy Sexuality and the Gospel. It's really great by Christopher Yuan. Um, there's a spiritual family chapter in it, but uh, it reminded me of it because what you just read in Matthew 15, or 18, Matthew 18 in verse 21 through 22, uh, he says, we learn that not only um, are accountability and discipline inherent in spiritual family, but forgiveness and restoration are as well. Because Peter asks in those verses, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times? And Jesus answers him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. (laughs) <laughs> um, discipline must always be done with the intent of restoration and mm. forgiveness. <laughs> and then he goes on to say, um, regrettably, church discipline is often ignored or when applied, seems more retributive in nature okay. than filled with the hope of redemptive restoration, yes. especially for those guilty of sexual sin. Come on. A lot of shame, isolation, and fear are involved. And this is the sentence I like. Biblical restoration after a moral fall is essentially a family reunion where the prodigal comes back from a far country (laughs) and is again one with the body of Christ. And are we doing this well? No. Right. No, it's a... As you were reading that, I was thinking to myself, you know, when someone has offended me or has hurt me or... Uh, and it's true. I mean, it's just a real straight-up offense. It really happened. There's no question about it. Do I really see that person in my mind as restored? Do I really hmm. go through that thought process of believing them to be restored in God? And it's it's kind of embarrassing to admit, no, normally no. Normally no. I'm so, I tend to be so overwhelmed by how the offense made me feel that I very rarely 
maybe through some time, but especially in the initial moments, very rarely think about how I could be used to restore this person. Yeah. You're looking at them through the lens of your offense rather than the lens of Christ's forgiveness for you. Yes. Yeah. And through the lens of our calling to restore. That's right. And that's why it says it's those who are spiritual, speaking to maturity in Christ and understanding the big strategic view of the kingdom. That's right. And that ultimately, like you said, like you read, the overall end goal, because again, it's not a question of if there will be failure or offense, it's when. That's right. So what are you going to do to handle it? How are you going to handle it? Are you going to push away? Are you going to isolate? Are you going to treat people in such a way that they owe you now um, mm. pittance or, or, or some kind of... Uh, come and grovel. Come and grovel or go through this process to prove to me that you've changed? No, I mean, the, the answer is set up a party for them and expect them to be restored. Expect God to move through the way that you treat them and the way in the expectation that you place for them. Cause Oh, by the way, people only rise to our level of expectation. Pray pray for their soul while you're praying for your attitude. Yes. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's like one sword over here and one over here. Like I'm, I'm battling my own flesh concerning what may have happened, but I'm not going to forget to battle for my friend. That's right. Who God's given me and who I'm supposed to help shoulder their load and fight with. Yeah. I, you and I have had, we've, you know, bumped heads in the, year, in the years of our friendship. <laughs> but I think it's a testament to both of our growth individually mm-hmm. uh, and maturity in Christ and also right. our growth as friends mm-hmm. to be sitting here doing a podcast together, knowing that I may have hurt your feelings or done something you know, to, to hurt you mm-hmm. in the past, right? Or vice versa, right? Right. And it's beautiful to me to keep going. Yeah. Right? And you learn. You learn along the way, okay, I pushed this button. That really hurt them. I'm not going to do that because, oh, by the way, I want them restored. Or you learn what ways that really appeal to them or that speak to them. And once you learn that, you turn that up. You know, so you turn down the things that are, that, right. you know, and um, it doesn't mean that there's no room for confrontation, right? Because um, there was a there was a verse in here that, uh, yeah, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a time of adversity. You know, usually that adversity is from outside forces, attack of the enemy. But sometimes, yeah, the adversity is between, you know, your, your is within your, your friendship. But, uh you know, just reading there that we love at all times through it with the ultimate goal of restoring them to God's best for them. That's right. Yeah. And I, you know, my prayer for the church community is just to keep getting this right. Mm-hmm. Keep being better at it. I've seen yeah, what what's coming to mind. So there's, there's a lot of I don't want to go to church because I don't like church people, right? Come on. Some of that is coming from church hurt, right? Right. But some of it's coming from, uh, they're too religious. I, mm. I don't want to be friends with anybody at that church. They're too religious. Well, maybe. Right. Just maybe God would like you to help edify them mm-hmm. into a place of more grace. Right. For themselves and others. 
right? We're all part of the body of Christ and we all need each other, right? So it's, my exhortation here or whatever you'd like to call it is just to challenge people to press in to one another, especially people outside of your own blood family, yeah. to press in and integrate those um, who need community, because we all do, and to include those that we may not have seen ourselves wanting to be friends with, right? because we're all going to be in God's kingdom together forever, for eternity. So you better get used to it now. <laughs> right. All right, you're going to be doing this thing for eternity, and, it, and it's right in step with Hebrews 10.25. Don't forsake our meeting together as believers for worship and instruction. It's mm. not about us all, you know, if, if things are, are awry with friends, you still need to be in there for worship and instruction. Okay? That's right. As Otherwise, you're habit, isolate. Yeah, as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more faithfully as you see the day of Christ's return approaching. So keeping in mind that, like he said, this is what we're built to do in this life and in the next. And so don't let the offense of one block you from the fellowship of all. Right. Because while you might have an offense with one, there's 10 more within that mm-hmm. local body who need you. That's right. And, and you need them. Yeah. So, um, and I love how it, it points to it as a bare bones. Even if you're just offended beyond all get out, get in there for worship and instruction. Right. right. I mean, that, I love how it kind of points that out. That's right. So, it's important. Yeah, it's great. Um, I could go on and on, but, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's probably at time, uh, just, you know, so we give you something to look forward to next time. <laughs> lot, lot to be thankful for in the days ahead and yeah. going into Thanksgiving. Um, just thinking of all the people uh, that I'm so thankful for, whether it's friends, uh, family, friends who are family, pastors, leaders, just everybody. Yeah. Same here. I, this is, it keeps getting better and better with Jesus as the years go on. This is one of the best years of my life. Because God is so good, and I'm been so been a restorative thankful. year. It really has. It's been weird. I'm like, I'm so relaxed. Yeah, <laughs> what's what's that like? I don't understand. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is so foreign, but it's because of community, mm. people like you who have challenged me through through things and and helped me see what God may be doing in my life. Because sometimes I can't see it for myself, and other people on the outside be like. I see this change in you. Oh, for sure. It's so good. That's that's the importance of community to me. Yeah, we we identify who we really are in one another. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. So with that, we love you all and we hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. And I recommend taking at least a 20-minute walk after dinner. <laughs> burn off that insulin spike (laughs) you know i'm acting up i'm going to mama so just be warned i know it's funny but anyway yeah so happy thanksgiving and uh we will see you again soon thank you for tuning in if you don't wouldn't mind please share this with your friends like uh subscribe to us on youtube whatever you feel like doing um we just hope you're here with us for the journey and uh we love you and we are so thankful for for god Mm -hmm. putting this in front of us and having us do it Awesome. Thanks so much.